These are the daily lectionary comments for August the 24th. Look at 1 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Solomon begins uh, to lay the plans to build the temple. And 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, last part of chapter 1, first part of chapter 2, Paul talks about uh, how to restore the uh, sinner who had previously been uh, excommunicated. And then he talks about the different ways that uh, God, the perishing, and those who are being saved view the kingdom of God and the people of the Christ. First Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Uh, the actual passage is about how Solomon uh, was working with the uh, uh, Hiram, the king in, uh, in Tyre. Um, the Tyre in that area was famous for its cedar. And um, David and Hiram had been close friends. And now Solomon is uh, going to be close friends with him as well. Hiram wishes to help with the building of the temple. The key thing here to recognize is the temple is going to be built uh, with exquisite um, uh, uh, materials, exquisite uh, cedar, exquisite um, uh, stonework. In fact, uh, the temple that Solomon built would be a magnificent structure, um, and it would last for uh, for. Uh, 500 years. So anyway, that's what's happening here. Um, I wanted to read a passage that is not uh, in our reading here, but actually is in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And it says this, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, Moses wrote, concerning how worship was being done, sacrifices were being offered uh, by the people throughout their days in the wilderness. For you have not as yet come to rest in the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. In other words, uh, during the time in the, the people were in the wilderness, there wasn't any set specific place where all sacrifices had to be done and where worship had to be done. Um, yes, uh, uh, many sacrifices had to be done uh, at the tabernacle, but that doesn't seem to have been universally the case. But Moses is is telling the people that at some point in the future, after you get into the promised land and you have peace round about, God will select a place where he will place his name. Now, that place is Jerusalem. That place is Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where the temple was to be built. David had first planned to build the temple, but God forbade him and said, you're not going to build a house for me. And that's when he says, I'm going to build a house for you instead, a dynasty. But actually, your son will build a house for me. Your son, Solomon, will build a temple. And this temple is going to be extremely important going forward. It's going to be it, the centerpiece of, of Israelite religion uh, all the way up until the time it is destroyed. And it will be destroyed at the time of the exile uh, in 587 BC. But now we're, we're at this point, we're, we're about, uh, uh, about maybe 970 
965 BC. So it, this temple is going to be around for a while. It is going to be the centerpiece of Israelite worship. And it is also, uh, and we're going to see more of this uh, in, in tomorrow's devotion in, in Solomon's prayer of dedication. Um, we're going to see uh, how theologically the Israelites viewed the temple, how important it was to them to come to the, to the courts of the Lord's house and to understand the importance of the temple and the presence of God and the place where he made his name to dwell is absolutely central also to understanding many of the Psalms and just much of the poetry and religion of, uh, of Israel. Right now, it's the nuts and bolts, literally, of how to build this thing. And Solomon is getting about that. More important will be the next couple of, uh, of uh, devotions that's going to talk about the significance uh, uh, in, in, uh, of what it means that God is dwelling among his people and has chosen a place for his name to dwell. But that's for tomorrow. Now, in 2 Corinthians, uh, last part of chapter 1 uh, through the first uh, part of, uh, of chapter 2, um, we already talked a little bit yesterday uh, about... Um, you know, what's kind of going on behind the scenes that Second uh, Corinthians is probably the fourth letter that, that Paul wrote um, and that there were additional visits that Paul had. There was a lot going on as Paul was trying to deal with this congregation, to build them up, keep them from destroying themselves uh, and so on. And so uh, in that, uh, the last um, or the first little part of the reading here talks about that. But then remember in 1 Corinthians, there was this issue of the person who, who was uh, caught in immorality. Paul said he's doing something even the pagans don't do. Uh, he's essentially married his, his stepmother. And he said, and, and, but the congregation was allowing him to stay. And, and he wasn't repenting of any of this and they didn't do anything about it. And in 1 Corinthians, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter five, Paul basically uh, pronounce a sentence on the on this guy and says you, you've got to excommunicate him you have to deliver him over to Satan which didn't mean to lay hands on him at all it meant to turn him out of the congregation as far as Paul was concerned within the congregation was life and salvation and outside the Christian church um, you are delivered to the devil and so he was to be excommunicated and removed from from uh, the Christian congregation now uh, the purpose of this was so that uh, not so that he would be punished, but actually so that the guy would come to his senses, would repent of his sin so that he could be returned to the church. <clears throat> now, if the person here in our reading today, uh, where he's talking from uh, verse five and following, if this is the same person, and it seems to me most likely it is, but not necessarily, then Paul is talking about how essentially this fellow has repented. And now that he has repented of his sin, he has to be restored. And, and so he's giving guidance to the congregation uh, that, that is necessary, uh, that once repentance has done its, its, its work and the person has turned away from their sin, they must be restored with the love of Christ and returned into the congregation. Or they're liable to be overwhelmed uh, with grief. Not only that, but uh, what he says in verse 11, uh, if, if we do not, if, if all we do is excommunicate and we never restore people who repent, if we always condemn sin, but never release people from sin, verse 11 says, 
that that would be amount to um, be being outwitted by Satan. Satan is the one uh, who is trying to divide and destroy us. And one of the primary ways he does that is uh, seduce us into various uh, sins and vices and then guilt and, and divisions from, from the congregation. Unfortunately, over the many years, I've known many Christians who uh, have in various ways just destroyed their relationship with God, and destroyed their relationship with the church by pursuing various you know, sinful uh, uh, lifestyles and sinful ends. And, uh, and sometimes they, they never do turn around and the whole relationship becomes so soured that they are lost to the body of Christ. Well, that's the design of Satan. That's what Satan would like to do. We are to overcome the designs of Satan, not by overlooking sin and not by refusing to practice any church discipline, but by being quick and, and ready to forgive and restore those who actually do uh, repent. Now, finally, um, Paul uses a very interesting uh, image here uh, in this uh, last part of our reading. He says in verse 15, for we Christians, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are perishing, to, uh, 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 let's see, uh, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, the other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul is saying, look, to God, all of the life, the offerings, the sacrifices, the sufferings, the troubles and trials and tribulations that Christians go through in this world because they are the children of God, that is like to God, the aroma, of the, the, the um, pleasing aroma of a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it oftentimes refers to uh, the, the smoke of the sacrifice rising up from the altar and it being a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So he's saying to God, this is a pleasing aroma. It is the aroma of Christ. We Christians are the aroma of Christ to God. Okay? Now, that's how God perceives us, the aroma of Christ. On the other hand, there are those who are being saved. How do they perceive their fellow saved? And then there are those who are perishing. How do they perceive those who are being saved? Well, to the saved, it's life from life. To the saved, when we see the troubles and, and, and challenges and sacrifices and sufferings and even the martyrdoms of fellow Christians, we see that that is life from life, the life of Christ uh, that brings life to the people who are suffering and in strengthens and brings life to the saved who are strengthened by the suffering of their fellow Christians. But to the perishing, to those who don't know anything about what's really going on here, um, we have a dead Jesus, uh, no resurrection there. We have Christians who are fools and suffering. We have the weakness of the kingdom of God. And uh, all of this is an obnoxious odor. It is uh, the odor of, of death and dying, and it means only death and dying. And for those who are perishing, it will ultimately lead to death and dying, from death to death. All right, that's a kind of a difficult little passage there, but that's what it's talking about. And uh, we will talk again about Second Corinthians tomorrow.